Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mount Westmore football podcast website, as you all know. If you don't know, and you're hearing it for the first time, go visit MWR.com. That's the website where football content, Mountain West, everything we do, basketball at the moment. we get got the weird series is going on, so it's kind of hard to... It is interesting, Matt, if you see our site, it's like, we got a preview of a series and a recap of this, of like four days later of two games. But uh, and, then, and then you get things happening like San Diego State blowing a 20-point oh. lead and then coming out two days later and blowing the doors off the Colorado State in turn. That was funny because they also had a 26-point lead again today. So so I'm <laughs> guessing you and Andy are probably going to talk about that at some point. We are, Yes, we switching schedules. We're going to be podcasting that next, which should be recorded this Monday night, January 4th. That will be January 5th, Tuesday, talking that game and some other hoop stuff. But if you're new, just go to the website and you figure everything out. But that voice there, Matt Kennerly, does... Uh, Fresno State football, everything else with the site. And it is, are we five days past the Arizona Bowl? It seems like two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> Every, uh, uh, time's, time still does strange things these days. I know. When you're sort of working, not working, I'm now permanently at home for the next six months probably working. So that's like, what day is today? Kids are back in school for the first time forever. Like, all right, let's go. But Arizona Bowl game, maybe we're just blocking it out because let's just get to it. Rip the bandit off. 34-13, Ball State won. <sighs> not a good one, right? No. And, and there was a number of reasons for that. Um, I think, you know, the, the, those reasons being the number of kind of late breaking absences that, that the Spartans had unavailable in this game. So if you weren't following it on Twitter, if you didn't catch it on the broadcast, I'm just going to run through the list of names real quick. And, and Jeremy, you can fill me in if I'm missing anybody, but San Jose state played this game without Kate Hall. Mm-hmm. Without Bailey Gaither, mm-hmm. without Trey Jenkins, correct DB Shamar Garrett, yes, we returned correct, mostly returned. Uh, yes, okay, yeah, Tyler Stevens and Kyle Hop. There's more than I had on my list. So there's that, five. <laughs> that's that's two starting offensive linemen. Oh, that's right, I forgot about those two guys. Yes, they were out as well. Linemen. Kev, Kevin McGiven. Mm-hmm. And Derek Odom. And Derek Deese too. 
Did, did he not play or did he get hurt early on? I saw what I was looking through because I went to the San Jose Mercury News after like we'll get to some bit. They're kind of complaining about why they shouldn't be in or out. I'll double check, but they said he didn't. He wasn't part of the game. Maybe I don't know. He regardless, he was not an impact player and didn't do much of anything. But what I've read, he was not. There. He had one target. Okay, maybe I missed for one yard. So I think he might have gotten dinged up early. On. Okay, maybe I just missed that. And they had their. Because I was looking after the fact, I knew a lot of guys were out. So, okay, I apologize for missing the one. Yeah, I had to double check that too. Jackson Moore, actually, a 24 7 sportsman, pointed out it was the very first play of scrimmage. Okay, so they missed him for the entire game, essentially, for a pretty key guy. And then also, you forgot the offensive and defense coordinator. Yeah, that's what I said. So, so for for those keeping track, that's the defensive player of the year. Yeah, in the Mountain West. The the top wide receiver, Mm -hmm. the return specialist, Mm -hmm. the top safety. You know, like I said, two offensive linemen and 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 two and both coordinators. It's going to be really hard for any team to win a single game or like a, like a kind of a one-off game for under those circumstances. And you what you do it is you if you look at it by quarters, it's really kind of a tale of two different games because mm-hmm. Ball State came out like they were on fire in the first quarter, and San Jose State just like did not have any answers for them you know they 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 only racked up i think 150 yards of total offense the cardinals did in that first quarter but you know they had an interception they had a pick six return for a touchdown they had a shanked punt that was they gave them field position basically at the 50 yard line the whole first half on the field for touchdown the whole first half was good to fill position for ball state I look at it as kind of like a split between the first quarter and the last three quarters, which is really kind of a shame because over the last three quarters, San Jose State outscored Ball State. And, you know, on a per play basis, you could kind of tell like that was kind of how the game ultimately kind of pivoted is after those first 15 minutes where San Jose State averaged only basically two and a half yards per play. They were giving up over seven and a half to Ball State. But in the second quarter, it was it was basically seven yards to six yards in favor of Ball State. And then in the second half, mm-hmm. they actually started out gaining the Cardinals on a per play basis. And and some of that was offset a little bit by the fact that they had more turnovers in this game than I think anybody might have expected. They had what four interceptions between Nick Starkle and Nick Nash. That's right. Nick Nash had the one too. Yeah, for the pick six, they scored was it fourteen points off turnovers, and mm. it's like they. Off, like the offensive line to get harassed when you lose two starters in this line didn't give up. They're pretty good protecting the quarterbacks all year. And in this game, they were sacked. It was only one sack, but five TFLs. It's when you're losing, you're throwing to guys because we've seen this before. Like they do a pretty good job spreading the ball around. Like even this game, mm-hmm. they did because Dees had that one target for one yard. But like they threw to like who, who, like who is this guy? Uh, Andre Crump? Like Billy Bob Humphreys, that's who you're throwing to in this game when you're having issues. Like you're losing top receivers. It was the offense was just, and with them not having a running game and losing receivers, losing linemen, like the running game takes another step back. The passing game and production's not there. You're throwing to newish guys because it was announced. We don't know what the exact deal was, but we don't know if they. Yeah, practiced. the only thing we the only thing we know is that they somebody in in the program came out and said that it would have been inaccurate to attribute all of it to COVID. So it could have been a number of reasons. You know what? That's that might be technically true, but here's what I'm gonna say: both coordinators went for COVID, guaranteed 100. percent Like, there's no other reason for them not to be there. Like, what's mm-hmm. what's the like what's the harm in saying they're out for COVID? Like, 
I hate it because I get it. My wife's a nurse and like, oh, there's HIPAA stuff. It's like, it's different where it's like, I go, oh, they have a lower leg injury. You don't want to say they have a fractured tibia or a, a particular broken bone. It's like, you remember the, uh, was it Pierre Paul, was it John Pierre Paul, the Giants guy blew his hand off with fireworks? Mm-hmm. And somebody sent a screenshot or a text of his medical records. Yeah, that's a big deal because he, they shared that. Had he gotten the information, a little different, but like, What's the like? Do you, unless it's like super embarrassing, because it's not like they're for a whole week. It's not like a regular bowl game. They might have been there a day earlier than normal for a road game. Like, I don't. I never get the harm in saying unless it's like an embarrassing situation when protect a kid. But if it's like, oh, he was hurt. He was sick for COVID. He was this. Like, do you see there's any national emergency or big issue of saying, oh yeah, they're out with COVID, or hey, he sprained his ankle in practice, or. They don't want to say he tripped over, tripped over the coffee table in the hotel room and bruised his butt. I don't know. I'm just saying. I mean, you know what I'll say though is like regardless of whatever the reasons are, you know, there was that whole kind of mini kerfuffle earlier in the week or in the lead mm-hmm. up to the bowl game about how they were technically in standing with the rules that Santa Clara County currently has in place um, as far as like their ability to travel and things like that. And so the fact that they that you know obviously we don't know the the individual particulars but you have to figure that it had that it played a a role to some extent is just not a good look for the spartans no and i'm wondering if they don't want to get busted by the county commission county office there because they they basically said they were you're right they weren't going to play possibly because they came back to town Mm. like i'm wondering if they don't want to say it was all to covid just to cover themselves and say oh you came back and but you kind of have to. That's the thing. Unless they tell them it should be – that's where it should be private. Like, oh, this person got it, and then but then they were near person A, B, C, and D just to mm-hmm. see where they're going. So I, I get that for them. But, like, you don't have to say who has it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, there's COVID and injury issues. Like, okay. I, I don't know. I just find – I hate it as a stupid cop-up. But there's – I'm betting that's the main reason why because they could, there could be issues with the county for – I don't know if there's fines or whatnot for – if they're considered a company or whatnot for endangering other people and knowingly coming in and breaking quarantine where you're not supposed to. But the game itself, like missing those guys, I, I can't, we can't say for sure, Matt, if they were there, they would have won. We don't know that, but it would have been a lot more competitive. I think. Yeah. You have 12, your two starting offensive linemen, your best defender because ball state's offense, they move the ball. Okay. But they were gifted. So such great full position first half. And they were, like you said, they were shut down after the first quarter, scored seven points. Their running mm-hmm. game was okay, a couple big plays. Their passing game was efficient, but yard, I guess 12 or 19 for a split there. And his yardage per play had a couple big plays. But like overall, he wasn't just slicing and dicing. They just got short fields. And when you only need to move the ball 60, 30, like what, 40 to 70 yards over compared to maybe 60 plus or 80 plus, you're going to mm-hmm. be, you're going to be helpful. And to pick six, like, it's it's a tough loss. I don't want to make this loss feel like it ruined their season. It didn't because every game this year that was not played was not their fault for are being canceled. Like when mm-hmm. they played Boise State, was it Fresno State, and was there one other game? I think I'm not sure, but a couple. Uh... I know those that game for sure. Maybe Colorado State. I don't recall. I know Boise for sure because it got canceled day of. Yeah, like, I don't have the schedule in front of me. Yeah, I mean, I think if there's, I think if there's one disappointment outside of all these, the the absences, 
is I think if, if there's one thing I'm disappointed in beyond that, it's the fact that they had trouble stopping the run in a way that, you know, we'd seen them take kind of the big leap forward. And I don't know if you could contribute. I mean, I don't think you can contribute all of that to simply having to play without Kate Hall in particular, because everybody else on the defensive front was, you know, in play. And the Cardinals didn't really have much trouble generating big plays on the ground all throughout the game. You know, they had you know, six big plays that totaled 122 yards. And even outside of that, you know, the, the, the Ball State duo of, of Will Jones and Donnie Marcus, you know, Jones averaged four yards a carry, which is, you know, it's okay. Marcus averaged almost seven yards a carry. So between them, you're looking at, you know, two guys who were pounding the rock over 30 times for basically five yards a clip. And with all of those guys that were still in play for the Spartans, I feel like that more than anything else is perhaps unacceptable, especially when they gave themselves a chance to kind of try and claw their way back into the game later on. Yeah, that's basically what summed it up. Like they figured out who they have, what they're doing. But mm-hmm. also to just point to like third down, they're one of 13. Yeah. Like you're supposed to have this amazing quarterback and you throw four inter- three interceptions. It's like Ball State's defense, they did, like when they were playing other games, they were ended up being 7 and 1. We looked at all the one score games they had, and there's a reason why you can tell when the second half goes the way it goes, where they sort of came back. They were not blowing teams out, and their defense was good enough. But this is a combination of them being a good team, and then as we saw, the interceptions, you can't convert third down, you had a bunch well, of penalties. Here's, here's the really puzzling thing about those thirds downs. You point out they were 1 for 12. Did you realize that they had eight? third and shorts that's when you can't run the ball that's a problem i didn't realize that many Cause, but because because normally when you when you look at a third down figure that poor you think oh man well they were behind the eight ball on first and second down that wasn't necessarily the case in this game they actually on average faced a better third down situation than ball state did but to your point you know their their very first third and one in the first quarter about five minutes in you know they got pushed back for uh you know, uh, a no gain essentially, and, and then a the false next start one as on, well. the ne- on, on the next drive is a false start, yeah. and then on third and six they get the four yards to Isaiah Hamilton. You know, loss of two later on on third and one, and then uh, you know, the, I think it was Starbuckle second pick uh, on third and two on the Ball State side of the field when they were tr- driving and had a chance to really kind of put a dent in the Cardinals lead. So all in all, it's just like a very weird and strange and mildly disappointing game. Ironically, their one third down was third and 13. They converted. Configure, <laughs> <laughs> right? I know. It was a carry Robinson, 14 yarder. So like this game doesn't sum up their season by any stretch. It's just, they had fewer players, not excuse why they lost, but doesn't help both. Co- like who's calling plays is Brent Brennan calling offense and defensive plays. Like that's, that's a th- question. It's a thing as well, because, I'm assuming most teams, obviously, the coordinators call the play. Sometimes head coach picks one side. They may have a team to like a passing game coordinator. Certain guys, they configure to make, come do plays, but this guy's the final say. That's it as well where it's like they should know what's going on because they're competent coaches, but it's putting more stress on the whole staff where you have two fewer people, and basically your number two and number three guys out there are gone. And so you have the mm-hmm. running back coach doing this more, the quarterback coach doing this tight ends coach, the linebacker coach, the defensive line coach, they're all doing a little bit more, and it suffers when it's – because, again, we don't know how long they knew this was going to be the case because it was announced on the radio broadcast like half an hour before. And so – but I'm, I'm assuming 
the players and coaches didn't know, oh, 30 minutes before we're not doing this. Sure, mm-hmm. they had a little bit of time. We don't even know if these guys traveled. I don't, I'm not sure if that came out to be. But it just means you're doing a little bit more where this guy's doing a little bit here and something falls through the cracks. It's like you're playing, what, Kerplunk or something. Okay, let's remove this, remove this piece, and this piece. Don't let the marble fall. we got to still keep a steady base. And it just, the floodgates opened up and they didn't figure things out till second quarter. And so mm-hmm. it's a great season. Nothing to be ashamed about, obviously, but it's just a kind of a bad way to end the season because it's a loss. People don't respect the max champion like they should. And they, they were down big and it's just what it is. And they got to just uh, go forward. And they're just glad Arizona t- tried to decide to hire some other random coach from the NFL to take over. There you go. <laughs> so they are losing some coaches though. Should we move on to that? I guess a little bit of, yeah, let's do it. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you're here as in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So the Spartans are losing... Um, oh, crap. As I say it, my document closed. Um, they lost their... Wide receivers coach is that correct? Yes, to Arizona to like be the o- <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah was it to be- okay was he to be the OC as well is that correct? I think he was just going down there to be their wide receiver okay. coach. If I'm not mistaken, Sorry. they brought in they brought in Pete Carroll's kid to be the offensive coordinator. So that works. If out. I remember correctly, no, my doc just crashed. I'm like, great. As I have about to read to it, but they lose him. Um, there was rumors of the OC going to BYU, but that's changed now. They already promoted from within. Aaron Roderick taking that job. So other stuff they're missing like. I guess the biggest, this will kind of roll into the whole conferencing players coming and going because you got that fifth year, or not fifth year, but free year. So the big news, Nick Stark was staying, which mm-hmm. we kind of thought that would be a good thing to do because if he transferred around, if he wants to get to the NFL one more year, we'll do good for him. Mm-hmm. The puzzling thing, Matt, Trey Walker, not NFL, but transferring. That It is interesting. That is quite surprising, in my opinion. Like, I mean, unless he's been getting some feedback about kind of his overall standing and what looks like a very, very stacked NFL draft class. You know, maybe it's just a matter of circumstances more than any particular kind of will willingness to, to jump into the NFL draft or something like that. Cause I mean, when you got, when you got guys at the top, like, um, what's his name from Alabama? Jude, not Jude death last year. Um, Heisman finalist guy. Yeah. Devonte was Devonte Smith. Uh, sure. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not entirely sure who it is. Um, but, but yeah, there's guys out there. There's other guys that are known more than him. Um, yeah, Smith. That's right, Devontae Smith. But you have, you have him. You have like the guys from LSU. There's guys that opted out. You have uh, Jalen Waldo, who might be back in the title game this weekend. You have like Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. You have who's the guy from Purdue? Rondell Moore. You have Rondell him. Moore. Yeah, you have like Chris Ole from Ohio State. You have uh, Kadarius Tony from Florida. Um, look, I'm still looking at list here on PFF. Amon Ross, St. Brown from USC. Um, Tyler Wallace, Oklahoma State, really good guy. Tough to guard. So there's a bunch of guys there. These are top 10, like Sage Surin, Wake Forest. Like I remember in the preseason, those are like the top 10, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Preseason, ESPN, like Insider or whatever it's called now, like Mel Kuyper and McShay had like him as a top 10 wide receiver in the preseason. And that was even before, there it is, Jamar Chase, that's the LSU guy. 
but you had him into top 10 as like a top 10 wide receiver before this season where I don't want to say he had a breakout or an amazing year on his own, like not eye-popping stats, not like Romeo Dubs or anything, but for the publicity San Jose State got, that had to have helped him overall, even with his season being still good, but not something just out of this world. Just say, Mm -hmm. hey, this guy came from nowhere to being the number five receiver NFL draft prospect. So it is weird he would go because it's kind of striking where the iron's hot a little bit where your team did well. You had a pretty good season. I'm trying to see exactly where he's at really quick. But, like, you know who's coming back. Like, he was had 45 catches. He had four touchdowns, 627 yards on the year, and they played, what, eight games? So he had, what, five catches a game? It's reasonably good. Not, like, not amazing, but above average, like, 14 yards a catch is pretty good. Like, he made plays, scored touchdowns. I wonder if he's going to Arizona to follow the wide receiver coach. But that was kind of the, one of the more shocking guys who is transferring, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, what? what's your thought? Just that he found that maybe thinking he can, he's just good. He's going to some bigger program and hope he does just as well. Because if he puts up the same numbers out of, like, USC or Texas or, like, Oklahoma or some other, if he goes to that, that type of school or any Power 5 school, like, they'll probably seem better than doing it at San Jose State. Mm-hmm. I don't. It's it's weird. I don't get it. Anybody else? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. What do you got? I mean, there's. I mean, there's a few guys that we could talk about when you're talking about guys who are either coming back or leaving, and the impact that they can have. Like, if you want to talk about UNLV for a moment, Mm -hmm. I think that they've got a little bit of both going on because I think one of the one of the bigger deals, in my opinion, is the fact that Charles Williams is coming back for his his last year. It's pretty surprising too. Like he. Running backs have limited mileage, and he's going to use it one more year in UNLV. I guess it says a ton for Marcus Arroyo, right? Keeping your best players around, even though they were winless last year. Yeah, and I think that you know when you and I think you know other guys like Joe Arrigo out there has done a really good job of putting kind of the, the trials of, that UNLV went through this fall in in more context. You know, you're dealing with a team that's still going to be very young on a lot of fronts next year. You know, you might have like a redshirt freshman quarterback. You might have you know, a pair of sophomore receivers outside. And, you know, even though they're replacing a couple guys on the offensive line, potentially, you know, having kind of a, a, an experienced hand, if nothing else, you know, he could be like the Frank Gore type on the collegiate level <laughs> as, as someone, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I do. I, do. I get who you. Is just, who's been around is experienced and is also still pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, we did we didn't get to see it quite as much uh, in in year one of the Marcus Royal era as we had in the last couple of years. But that doesn't mean like he suddenly fell off a cliff, you know, talent wise or anything like that. But conversely, you know, I think the fact that Randall Grimes entered the transfer portal is something of a big deal for a team that, you know, over the last few years had brought in a lot of wide receiver recruits and, and not a lot of them really panned out. And then he came in last year proved he could be a very viable red zone threat at a minimum you know, led the team in touchdowns and then didn't play at all this year um, before transferring out. And so I think that kind of production is going to be really difficult for the rebels to replace right away, just because, you know, yeah, they've got a couple of young guys who can step up and be even bigger contributors next year, like Kyle Williams, like Zale Griffin, guys like that. But, you know, having that kind of physical presence on the outside is, you know, you look at the roster and right now, nothing says that they can't bring in somebody else somewhere down the line between now and like whenever the late signing period is or over the summer or something like that. 
but you know the fact that you know he kind of feel, he plugged a hole that the rebels desperately needed in Tony Sanchez's last year and I think that you could make a pretty convincing case that they missed that in 2020 and so the fact that they're going to have to go without it in 2021 is just going to be kind of one more challenge for an offense that's going to have a lot of questions already. That's true. And like also the quarterback, we don't know exactly mm-hmm. how that's going to shape out. If you have a solid running back hanging out there, that's something you can lay on. Like, all right, we'll hand the ball off to you. We'll work on the passing game later. If something doesn't go well, you have that reliable guy back there. And yeah. so who else? There isn't um, CSU Marcus uh, McElroy returning as well. They're running back. McElroy, yeah. So he's back. Uh, well, he's not the only one. There was actually like a, a few guys, a few Rams who said over the last few days that they were going to be coming back. McElroy is the most recent one. Um, but the McBride brothers, mm-hmm. Toby and Trey, have both said that they're coming back as well. Um, they're losing Patrick O'Brien. To yeah, he's, wa- on, he's already Washington? in Washington. <laughs> like, okay. Um, they do lose assistant coach, which is not a big deal. Was a wide receiver, QB coach, which is fine. Kenny Guyton, yeah. Kenny Guyton, he's going to uh, – Arkansas to follow his buddy there. Um, but then you have, like, here's they have offensive player tracker for CSU. So a couple guys they have, like, those are the big, anybody other big guys we need to know, or just those three are kind of the big ones for the Rams? Uh, as far as the Rams are concerned, those are kind of the big three. But I think, oh, and I think Scott Patchen, also, he kind of, he cribbed from, uh, from Brent mm. Brennan a little bit with his uh, Wolf of Wall Street riff on Twitter, but we'll, we'll forgive that. Oh, Manny Jones, is re- Manny Jones is returning. There's that. Oh, there you go. I have a list here in Colorado. Manny Jones, Ryan Stonehouse. There you go. The That's true. Epic uh, punter name. Um, yeah, Scott Patchett. Punting God, yes, Ryan Stonehouse. Exactly. Uh, Liza Hubbard, Marshawn Cameron, um, and then Marcus Malcory Jr. So, uh, and I think you know all the. I think what all of those guys really speak to when I'm thinking ahead to next fall is you know even coming into this year. Colorado State had an edge as far as returning production is concerned, and and obviously that that took a little bit of a hit when when, when Warren Jackson ultimately opted out to focus on the draft before the season began. Sure. And I imagine that the the gap between the Rams and the rest of the conference is going to be made up at least a little bit by the fact that you know basically everybody played some kind of young guys to some degree, but you know the fact that they have so many experienced hands coming back. You know, obviously there's still questions about the efficacy of the offense and things like that, but there's no questioning that the defense, especially up front with guys like McBride and Jones and Patchen, were one of the bigger kind of revelations anywhere in the conference this year. And so for a team that has division title aspirations next fall, this is a big deal for them. You think they have that aspiration that'll happen? I think they could. Okay. I mean, if, if they can if they can resolve their quarterback situation, <laughs> that's kind of a big if right now. Um, oh, very big. We'll, we'll have to wait and see, but I think that Rams fans, you know, they they have reason to be optimistic with the guys that are coming back because you're talking about a group of guys that were all pretty productive last year. Yeah, they do. It's uh it's hard. Like we're doing a coaching. Did you fill out a coaching first year coaching grades yet? I did. What did you put Steve Adazio as? Uh, I believe I gave him a C. Okay, I went with the D. Because he's an idiot at quarterback development and doesn't know what he's doing, and that's the mm-hmm. big concern. Like if they have these guys back, like defense seems to be a bit better. Um, running back of Malcor's back, tight ends back. It's just him wanting, and they brought in a million BC transfer or Temple transfer, wherever's from BC transfers in. So there's a couple more of those guys coming to town. It's like he doesn't like he wants to run the ball, but he doesn't seem to know what to do with the quarterback situation. And again, 
you got to give some leeway for not able to practice with the guys to know the guys you have. Even though Patrick O'Brien, watch, he'll be the starter at Washington and lead them to like the Pac-12 North title next year or something. Like I, I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, like that's my biggest concern about he has issues at QB. And so I hope they're better because I don't want to see any team be bad. But it's just a, it's probably the same big concern for you, but I think that's overly concerned. That's why I gave him like almost a failing grade. Mm-hmm. But so what other um, big names that are coming back or going that we're missing? So if we're just going to go like kind of in alphabetical order by team, sure, if you look at Air Force, yeah, and maybe this isn't a huge surprise because I believe he was already a senior, but Parker Ferguson deciding to you know uh, go to the NFL draft rather than coming back one last round. Sure. That isn't totally surprising, but for an offensive line that has been at the very top of its game over the last couple of years, those are going to be some really big shoes to replace. Definitely. I think they're the best offensive line just about. Mm-hmm. And so it's. And then it's, and, uh, sorry, continue. Oh no, I was gonna say that. And then at Boise State, I think the big one is Avery Williams. Yeah, that's not a shocker. Like he's leaving, so like also what? not a shocker. But yeah, but you know, but you know, and because, you know, you talk about a guy who can you know make an impact as a return specialist and as a defensive back, and that's going to be really hard for the Broncos to replace with just one guy. Um, you know, he's gone. John Bates is also gone. Mr. Tight end. Uh, Nick. Nick Crabtree isn't returning, but he's not going to the NFL draft. He's just, I believe, retiring from football. Anybody from Fresno so, you know, State? The latter, the latter two may not be. I'm sorry. Sorry. The, the, yeah, their Bates was non-factor outside of the Utah State game all year. He had the one game. Uh, essentially, as far as Fresno State is concerned, yeah, the, the, like they don't really have anybody at least right now that's on the same kind of level. Like they're losing a few kind of role players, like you know Chris Coleman's in the transfer portal. Ben Woolridge, the backup quarterback, yeah. is in the transfer portal. Uh, interestingly, a pair of specialists who also have to be brothers, Asa Fuller and Kate Fuller, both in the portal. So, yeah, I, I like the not nobody on the on the level of like an Avery Williams, let's say, or uh, or Warren Jackson or anybody mm-hmm. on that. But it's something to keep in. It's something to kind of keep an eye on to see kind of how much margin for error they have when they're kind of bringing along or developing the guys that they have coming back. For next fall. All right, so let's go to Hawaii. Calvin Turner coming back. Heck yeah! He is there a does the Mountain West have a specialist award? Or is it just the uh, special teams award? It's offense, defense, special teams. <sighs> he could win the ball. They, I, I <laughs> wish they. I kind of wish they had like a mini version of the Horning Award though. Because he like his last second half of the year, like, he was amazing. By the time he figured things out, by playing at a higher level, like return, catch, run the ball. Like he, if you think about what Avery Williams did for Boise State, he's going to be kind of like, like that for Hawaii, but on offense, mm-hmm. like, or even, um, who was it they had two years ago? Um, was it John Hightower? Who's with the Eagles now? Yes. And they kind of used in a million different ways for Boise State. Mm-hmm. Like he's kind of like that. And he, with Hawaii not having a running game, like he is a player, like he's one of my favorite players to watch next year. See what happens. Because they have shave, shave yeah, because he he kind of unlocked the offense. Yeah, like without a running game, he was able to do a few different things. Like he was able to supplement the running game, which wasn't great. But when you have another random guy getting fifty yards on the ground, like a, basically a hundred total yards receiving and catching, plus probably another what I forget he got returning game, but another fifty yards here, twenty yards, thirty yards here for a good field position. He. Like he's mm. a guy to watch out for. Like if he takes the next step after having, like again, I I said it a million times. It's hitting every broadcast. 
He came from non-scholarship FCS football to Hawaii, which is not obviously Hawaii is not an amazing top 20 program, but that's still like a gigantic leap. And he did that well with not much practice offseason. Like, if they can have spring football this year and next year is hopefully basically normal contact practice and learning the playbook in year two of Todd Graham, like, he's going to be a guy that people are going to want to watch. And he could be a potential NFL guy with the utility of what he does, like Avery Williams, returning, DB, those type of guys. Just why John Hightower is with the Eagles. I think he's on the, I think he's bounced around from practice squad to fit 53. Man roster, but like mm-hmm. he, he's a he's gonna be a fun guy to watch. So I'm excited to see what he can do next year with uh, Hawaii. Yeah, also, if you're looking for excuses to stay up late with the Warriors next fall, like he's near the top of the list. Did uh yes, did Rico Busey transfer again, or he's going to the NFL? I saw a tweet from him. But uh, I don't recall. I, I believe he's going. He's going to the NFL. Uh, I wish you luck. It did not turn out very well. Our failed newcomer of the year, right? <laughs> Well, they don't always work. I mean, he worked out a little bit better than uh, Malik Henry a couple of years ago. In fact, there you go. That was more of the last chance you thing, right? Wasn't that the reason people wanted him? I think so. Okay. Uh, anybody else in Hawaii we're forgetting or that we care about? I mean, it's as far as like immediate contributors, there's nobody kind of on the level of Turner. But as far as guys who are who have departed, you know, Miles Reed, I think we may have mentioned it in, very briefly in passing during the last podcast. Yeah, uh, end of the year. Yeah, he's gone. Uh, Lincoln Victor has already said that he's going to walk on at Washington State with Nick Rolovich. Um, and then I think to me, the the really interesting name that's in the transfer portal right now is Quinn Bright, who was the top-rated recruit in the 2019 class, uh, at least according to 24-7 Sports. He's in the transfer portal too. Hmm. And so it's kind of – it's. That is kind of a something that to me kind of raised an eyebrow as to whether maybe he just wasn't a, a good fit for the offense that uh, Hawaii's trying to implement or anything like that. But something to keep an eye on kind of going forward as far as, you know, the kind of athletes that Hawaii's ultimately going to run out there in the long run. That's true. Okay. Anybody from San Diego State? Um, I'm trying to oh, think. Oh, yeah. I sorry, I haven't made you yeah, been there's, ke- the, the, there's a trio you've been keeping the Aztecs who have all declared for the NFL draft. I'll just say this: you've been keeping a closer eye on this than I have the past week or two, so I appreciate that. So, what are the what's the big trio? Because honestly, I do not have a clue. Well, it, sh- it really should not surprise you that they all come from the exact same unit. Running backs: Dwayne Johnson Jr. Oh no, sorry, no. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson Jr., Darren Hall, and Tariq Thompson. All three going to be drafted too, right? Possibly. Th- they better be. I actually would not be surprised. Although, although you know what, you know what. It would not surprise me if, like, they went kind of the, the Luke Barku route mm-hmm. or the the Andrew Wingard route, where like people like you and I or San Diego State fans, mm-hmm. we, we we watch these guys week in and week out, and we're like, these guys these guys can play at the next level. They make plays, yeah. But then they like get drafted in the seventh round, or they go undrafted, and then lo and behold, they are out there on Sundays anyway, making plays. Like, did you see the thing where Wingard picked off? Philip Rivers in both the first and the last week of the season this year. Oh, I didn't know his first. I know he got one last week. I didn't know his bookend, didn't it? Yeah, I think he got one in week one, too. There's a bunch of guys, too. Like, I forget the Boise State DB who's later on pick with the Giants. Um, uh, Darian Thompson. Yeah, Darian Thompson. Like, and he started, he started like week one as a rookie or something like that. Barku, mm-hmm. he's with the uh, Falcons. No, it's DeMonte Casey with the Falcons. I yeah. think he's still the Falcons. So, yeah, there's plenty of guys like. They can make plays, we'll get there, but it's hard. If you're like a sixth or seventh round pick, it's uh, tricky to get a uh, stick with the roster, but they mm-hmm. all three could get drafted. I think Tree Thompson's like a shoe, and I would say. But all three guys should have a shot and will be on the roster at some point. Yeah. Um, 
Then we have we already talked about San Jose State a bit, UNLV a bit. Uh, anybody from Wyoming? I'm miss, we're missing anybody big. Any opt outs returning that Craig Bull's not going to be pissy about and talk to him? <laughs> not that I've heard about so far. I think if you're looking for a big name, it's probably like Dante Crow. Okay. But uh, that's about it. Okay. All right. Uh, time to move on. Let's not forget about Utah State, though. Oh, sorry. Can we talk about other coaches coming back that used to be on the Aggie teammate? Like Chucky Keaton, running backs Chucky coach now. Back. Not to play, but to coach. Uh, yeah, they filled out the roster today. They got uh, Devin Tompkins returning. That's a huge deal. But uh, the, you know, but it's interesting. It's interesting. They've got the, the the Jonesboro to Logan pipeline working already because in the last week or so, that's right. Not only did they land, they're probably their their new potential starting quarterback in Logan Bonner. Mm-hmm. Um, they landed one of his targets from the Red Wolves at Arkansas State too, in Brandon Bowling. That's good. Yeah, they get those guys that come in. Obviously, they're probably not going to be eligible, but you never know with the NCA. Which just make them mm-hmm. all, just make them all eligible in time. I but, thought everybody was supposed to be eligible next year. Uh, that rules. Like, I have no idea. There's somebody. There's so many confusing rules about that. That rule. I know Basco because John. You ever follow? Yeah, I know you're not a huge college hoops guy, but I'm sure you're familiar with the, this fellow named John Rothstein. Yes. Okay. I, I hope. I was hoping you'd say no, just because it'd be amazing if you didn't know who he was. I'm, I'm <laughs> passingly familiar. Which with Which is him. fine. Do you, are you familiar with how he hate like he? Okay. Did you? Okay. I'm gonna go over a tangent here. You know, our buddy Dana Lebby has been on the podcast once or twice. Mm-hmm. Who's doing? Was he a sport tack right now? I believe it is. Sport track. Uh, yes, I believe so. I retweeted a piece from him about San Jose State, which isn't all that flattering. It's on our Twitter. Go read it. We don't have time because it's kind of a deep dive. He did a FOIA request. <laughs> the best one ever. There's always a rumor that Rostin would text every coach before the game. Good luck, coach. Every Division One coach. <laughs> FOIA requests come back. Hundreds of texts confirming he basically does it to every coach about good saying good game coach or good luck tonight, hmm. which is weird. <laughs> I'm like that's beyond weird, right? I'm like, you'd think he'd be blocked at some point from texts and everything, but like he also is adamant because his business is college basketball. He does stuff with like, I think he's with CBS Sports for TV. He used to write on the website. He does a handful of different things like the fan in New York. He does a lot yeah, of yeah. different hoop stuff, but he's always in the pocket or just saying. Against like craps on kids who transfer. If you read his tweets closely, he doesn't like that. Like any rule, there's a rule a couple weeks ago or maybe a month ago about basically allowing a one time transfer or something like that to freely transfer. He just thinks it's like the worst idea in the world. And he has really no reason to know why these kids are transferring. And we know why he likes it because he wants to be in the good graces of college coaches who don't want players to transfer either. And so he's always yeah. saying transfers are bad, they're bad. I'm like, no, transfers are not always bad. They can work out amazingly for a lot of people. And there's a million reasons in football or basketball to be transfers. So um, back to Utah. Are we, sorry, I went off the topic there. Are we back on Utah State? Any other players besides the uh, pipeline? Uh, I think those were. I think the, the imports for the Aggies have been more interesting than the exports at this point. I think we've kind of talked over most of the, the big names that are uh, leaving Logan. Oh, one thing we didn't mention. Did you see Jalen Warren going to Oklahoma State? I yeah I noted that that was a couple weeks ago. Now, I know I, I just I just I just thought of it now like oh he's a big name that's um, pretty interesting so we'll see how that goes. But well he he's not the only one that's found a landing spot too like you know Troy Leffigat Jr. Uh, he's at Texas State now Eric Munoz the linebackers mm-hmm. at Kansas State so you know they they've been getting around. Yeah well they get the guys they want so we'll see what Blake Anderson does there. It's gonna be interesting to follow. Are we ready for coach talk now? Let's do it. 
It is very fortunate you were unable to podcast Sunday Night Matt because uh, we've had some news, and I called it in our Twitter DMs about this is the Boise State coaching search, which they do have their new AD. Pulled the guy in from Baylor, so they have a athletic director. But the coach is like, well, are they going to bring in Kellen Moore? Is it Andy Avalos? Is it Jeff Choate? Is it this guy? Is it this guy? Well, during the uh, NFL and Fox Cowboys, who are the Dallas Cowboys playing? I they should... were playing the New York Giants. Okay, you think I'd watch some of the Cowboys fans, but I have no interest this year because they suck, even though they almost made the playoffs. Um, so Troy Eggman, who I'm 99.99% sure everybody should know who he is, former Super Bowl champion, quarterback, multiples, lead guy in Fox football, saying Boise State, Cullen, excuse me, Cullen Moore, was offered and accepted the job, and then says it fell apart. My first message in our DM was, that's BS, because Troy Aikman is not a reporter or a journalist on any level. I did, one of our Colin did point out, well, he's with the Cowboys, he knows people there. I'm like, yes, but... So I call that total BS because that's like a scumbag move to do, right? It's not like mm-hmm. you, hey, they're offering me, let me use some leverage here because Kellen Moore, OC for the Cowboys, this is, was his last year of his deal. So for him being retained, we'll see. It wasn't a great season, obviously. Bunch of injuries to their team, like Dak Prescott and others. I can see him like, hey, I'm going to interview the job, go interview for it. Hey, here's what they're doing. Talk about money, whatnot, because you point out too, Jerry Jones to open the pocketbook, so... What was this school? Is it Boise State? Let me give you two and a half million dollars. They can't touch that, which is probably the case, just about maybe three, but because they're playing Harson almost two. But when I heard that in Southern, I'm like, there's no way that's true. And of course, 100% false. Like, did you buy that for one second that that was going to be a thing? No. <laughs> I, I, but eventually, apparently it was. He has not even been, not even interviewed. He never interviewed for the job either. Well, there you go. So not offered, completely false, <laughs> reporters false. So right now, the big names, the reason we, it's good to record it tonight, because big names, we have well, it's Andy Alvalos, which we all, which you should know, defensive coordinator, Oregon, it was at Boise State before for a couple, for a handful of years during, well, see, he was there during the festival year, correct, I believe? I think so. Before he left for the um, Oregon job. But also Jeff Choate, who's currently the head coach of Montana State, we had four names here you told me before. The other name, Brian Johnson, who I'm familiar with. You called it. I did. Like, yeah, I said, look for a guy like that that could be up there who makes his dues throughout. So he is currently the Florida offensive coordinator. He was at mm-hmm. University of Utah, played there. He coached there, he coached at University of Houston. He's, he's um, in consideration because I guess a report from Football Scoop and others, and I think it was a BJ Range of uh, Idaho Sport, um, what is it, um, Blue Turf Sports. That they're possibly mm-hmm. they're interviewing four guys tomorrow. Who's the other guy? Did I miss one? We discussed it before. Was, you did. Was Graham this... Harrell. Oh. USC offensive coordinator. Graham. What do you think of these guys? Like, first, what do you think of first of Harrell and Johnson? They're the two outsiders, essentially. What 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 do you think? Uh, or what do you think of those guys? Because my opinion, real quick, is because with um what's his name? Dickie, the new AD, he has not no like no ties. Now they doesn't care, but he has no obligation to get a Boise guy to return. Mm-hmm. And he's going to cast the widest net, widest net as possible. See, it's really interesting because you know, Graham Harrell might be the bigger name, but I think if I were making that decision, I would 
think very strongly about Johnson, Ooh. if only because you know, in, not only did he turn Kyle, Kyle Trask into an uh, like a legitimate Heisman candidate this year, but if you didn't watch the Gators' offense, they were one of the best in the country, both by the advanced numbers and the traditional numbers. Like by SP Plus, for instance, they were the fourth best offense in the country behind Alabama, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. That's like really good company to keep. And as the guy kind of behind, you know, under Dan Mullen kind of being in, in charge of that side of the ball, you know, you mentioned it in our last podcast about how Johnson's first kind of full stint as a coordinator didn't necessarily go all that well in Utah. Nope. But it seems like, you know, whatever lessons he's learned over the last couple of years, you know, as a quarterback's coach, as an offensive coordinator in Gainesville, that you know, whatever lessons he took from his time in Salt Lake City, he's been able to apply them down in the SEC. And, you know, if you can be productive there, you can be productive just about anywhere. He also was the OC of Mississippi State in 2014 with Dan Mullen, mm-hmm. Orange Bowl team, ranked number one at the mo- for at least a hot second in the AP poll mm-hmm. that year. He was there for two years. Like, the other two years were just okay. He was at Houston with, I believe, Major Applewhite in 17. I'm trying to see how, how we did there. But, like, also think about Florida. It's like our buddy Brandon knows Florida, Brandon Blake. But Florida's offense has been involved on Twitter on game day. He's – this year, I'm assuming he's fairly satisfied for the most for the most part. But, like, this offense, like, past couple of years, like, they were just dreadful and awful. For the past, it was like their defense is why they're winning. They, they need – if they were, they were going to win, the basically offense, they prayed to get 20 points a game. Yeah, to, and to I mean, I, I think it's – you know, as tempting as it is to like bring in a, a Boise State guy, you know, if you're thinking in, if you're thinking long term, if you're thinking big picture, and, and I'm thinking about this as best as I can from like an administrative point of view or like a programmatic point of view, like this is bigger than being like a regional power or it's bigger than being like a Western power. If they want to be a national brand, then, you know, thinking outside of kind of the, the Boise State family is one way of doing that, where you don't necessarily discount guys just because they didn't play there or haven't coached there in the past. And and guys like like Johnson and, and at least in my opinion, guys like Carroll to a lesser extent definitely fit that bill of guys who, you know, we, we know what they are. They are innovative offensive minds. And if you put them at the helm of a team that recruits as well as Boise State has since forever in the Mountain West, yeah. then I think that they will remain in pretty good shape. Also, it should be noted, um, Brian Johnson, he, he was the uh, OC of, uh, you know, this quarterback, Dak Prescott. I heard he's pretty good. Mm-hmm. He's going to have coached at least two NFL quarterbacks. He was one of the, for the short time he was at Utah for the handful of years, one of their best recruiters. Like He hit Texas really hard because that's one of the areas Utah is at when they're in the uh, Pac-12 and leaving the Mountain West. Like, they hit Texas pretty big. And so he's one of the big recruiters there. And, boy, she gets players out of Texas. Like, again, Dickie's the guy. Like, he doesn't – and also, should be noted, was he – well, uh, when was he at Houston? I don't have in front of me, but uh, the Houston – I want port, to say it was 2016. Brian Johnson's there in 2017. So maybe has a little bit of path or, like, crossing, crossing the ways with Brian Johnson a little bit too. Mm. So that could be part of it, but like what Brian Johnson's done the past couple of years, like the offenses of Florida, like they've improved. And like he's known Dan Mullen forever. He was his quarterback's coach at University of Utah. Like he's known him for 15 years or so. 
and that's the head mm-hmm. coach of Florida. And so I, I like, there's a lot of reasons to like him. And you're, you're right too. Like the state, like here's my thing, Kellen Moore, I kind of tap tiptoed around. I never thought it would have been a good hire because he's never like the same reason I mentioned Brian Johnson before, like getting that job first wouldn't have been a good big deal. Like his high, he had to go back and learn how to be a college coach. Mm-hmm. And I just felt more would have been winning the PR battle, having fans excited about this team with your, the best quarterback ever, not just your school history, but NCAA football history with the most wins ever. I just felt that wouldn't have been a good fit because he's never been a college coach. Not to say it would work because like Pete Carroll mm-hmm. went NFL to college and, and went back and forth, did fine. But I never really felt that was a good, I always felt Andy Avalos should be the main guy. And I still think he probably is, but you're right. If they want to be a bigger deal, like, Oregon's been fine. Like getting a guy from Oregon who's been to the playoff and won Pac-12 titles, that's a pretty big get too. Like, out of all the names, like if we look at Eastern names, would Graham Harrell be the biggest name that people that people say, "Hey, that's a pretty good hire for Boise State to get a coach from I mean, U- he's, he's USC." A big name, but you know, and and I see this, and I'm, I'm, I don't follow USC as closely as I follow Mountain West football teams, obviously. Mm-hmm. But you know, one of my Close acquaintance is Josh Webb. You know, he yeah. writes for mm-hmm. our, our one of our you know other USA Today wire sites down the USC wire site, mm-hmm. um, and he's had a lot of quibbles about Graham Harrell. And so I feel like if you were to ask him, if you were to ask other guys like Matt Zemek, uh, who I believe is also part of Trojans Wire, yes. mm-hmm. they might be able to point out some of the shortcomings that the Trojans have had, especially when it comes to running the ball. Oh, definitely, uh, because because we know he's definitely an air raid disciple. I don't think that Boise would have much of a problem implementing that if they wanted to go in that direction. But, you know, it's, it seems like at least as far as the last couple of years in, in, in Westwood have looked, that they have had some shortcomings that they have not been able to totally resolve as far as keeping a balanced offense. Yeah, I remember two years ago, it was the big deal. Utah's playing at USC. They made the big deal. Utah hasn't wanted to call a team in 100 years. I'm like... Technically, that's true, but they've only really been playing consistently the past decade down there. Yeah, and so Kevin Slovis—they had all the quarterback injuries. I think Slovis came in because like Utah just crushed the starting quarterback. It wasn't JT Daniels; he's already out. But they're down the QB three, and all they did, which was shocking, that at this win against Utah secondary so well, they just chucked it to Michael Pittman Jr. the entire game, and it worked. They—I'm mm-hmm. gonna—I'm looking at the box score right now, but I'm confident in that game. Um, USC had maybe negative yards rushing. Like it was just throwing, 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 no pass or no running one bit. It was just, let's chuck it down the field. Pittman had it right here 10 catches, 232 yards. I was thick. It wasn't even, dude, who was thick? I don't know who that guy is. It's Matt Fink who came in. Slovis, the guy who got hurt. So they just chucked it, which is not good for Utah because you lose to a third string quarterback. But it was, I'm pulling up right now. Pittman had 200 plus yards. They ran the ball, this includes sack yardage, 13 total rushing yards, starting running back at 39 yards and 11 carries. Yeah. And so that's just one snapshot in time. But think of Boise, like they run the ball very well. Like how many running backs they've been drafted like the past four, going back to like Doug Martin. Mm-hmm. And so he'd be maybe splashy higher. Johnson would be more most of the unknown. Or how would Jeff Chope be treated? Because he's been at Montana State. He's the other fourth guy. Well, it seems It seems like... People are the most lukewarm on Choate. What's the reasoning? It's a Montana. Lack of flash, I guess. I have no idea. I mean, I'm not as familiar with Choate's background as as other people are. Mm -hmm. He's 
at a, one of the best FCS conference or schools in the country. So there's that. He's mm-hmm. doing well there. He's what was he at Boise? Was he the offensive? I should know this, but the offensive line coach, I believe. He I was think uh, so. linebackers coach, special teams coach. Um, no, he here. No, that's the guy who played both sides of the ball. He was a running backs coach and LB coach. So he's never even an OC. He's been at UTEP at DC. Like his, this is his biggest gig at Montana State. Besides being the defense coordinator at UTEP, which is well, it's UTEP and not great. But he's been around Florida. He's been at Utah State. He's a high school coach. Like he's been to the playoffs a couple times. Like he turned them around pretty quickly from four wins to eleven wins in twenty nineteen. Semifinal playoff loss. So I don't know. Like here's the thing too. This guy's a fundraiser. If you want a guy to make money, I think Choate would be the bottom of the list because like who he's the I guess the safe hire, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know what do you like. The decision could be made. They're potentially interviewing four on Tuesday morning. We're recording this Monday night. Do you have any inkling or order you'd put in these coaches to be hired? Like if you're to go one through four, Avalos, Johnson, Harold, Choke would be my order. Okay, who would you hire though? If you had the keys, if you're um, the new—I keep forgetting his name. Sorry, the uh, new AD for Boise State. Who would you? Pick? Jeremiah Dickey. I yeah, believe. Jeremiah Dickey. Yes, I'll call him JD. There we go. We'll do that. Like I what? Mean, honestly, I would I would choose either Apollos or Johnson. I think both of those would be outstanding hires. What do you think? Would the, how how bad would the fans freak out if it wasn't um, Avalos? I guess, like I said, it would depend on who they brought in. I think uh, true, but I I think everybody's pointed and looking at him because he's a Boise guy. Mm. Would, no, I mean I get that, but I mean I would also call. I mean, as speaking as someone who. <laughs> came out very strongly against the Jeff Tedford hire. Exactly. Years ago. I know. That was, yeah. That's different though. That what, that's what, different. What, and, and, and it, it is sort of because you know, Tedford was a Fresno state guy and I didn't feel like that should be the end all be all. It was a booster hire. Come on. But, but in retrospect, it was as much about the guys that he brought in with him as well. Most notably among them, the guy who happens to be the head mm-hmm. coach now, Kalen DeBoer who prior to coming here the first time before leaving for Indiana and coming back had no ties to the Central Valley. But that hasn't stopped him from putting together a staff that recruits the region well in, in putting together, uh, well, at least for right now, a very strong offense over the last couple of years. So, you know, I think especially if you're talking about a program like Boise that's going to have pretty high standards regardless of whoever they bring in. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to make sure that you, whoever it is, whether it's a guy who is familiar with the program or has experience with the program or not, that they have the bona fides to go along with it. And like I said, you know, Harrell, I think, mostly fits that bill. But if you gave me the choice between Harrell and Johnson, I'd take Johnson in a heartbeat. I think so as well because look what Florida does with uh, Kyle, the tight ends, the quarterback. It's more balanced offense than you're right than USC who just uh, wants to chuck it because – He's been fine at USC. Like they brought him in from North Texas, clearly. And I'm wondering, like, what we'll wrap it up here in a minute. We don't need to go too much more, but like, you would think Carroll would want to stick around because Clay Hilton's on the proverbial hot seat, no matter what. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they were super close to going to the Pac-12 title game. Probably should have. They didn't. Or no, they did. Wait, I don't remember what happened. That game was weird. But yeah, Oregon beat USC, right? Is that what it was? They took over for... Yeah, because Colorado got hosed. Yeah, Colorado got hosed. Oh, it was supposed to be Washington. That's what it was, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. I remember the game changing many times. But like, he's there where it's like... 
I want this job next. And so I'm thinking, why would he, I get the interview and leverage saying he can go to Boise and come back, but that would, Boise also probably wants a guy who wants to stick around for a while. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Alvaro's to stick around for a while. I don't think Graham Harrell would. I think Choate would. And Brian Johnson, being as a younger guy, possibly, I know he's from the Houston area, but the only big job there is A&M or Texas. You know what I mean? Like, and they just, Jimbo Fisher's there for a decade. They just hired Sarkeesian. He's not going to be headed back down there, er, that area. And I'm going to say Boise State is a better job than Houston. Plus, they just hired Dana Holgerson like two years ago. They paid him a ton of money. So there's that possible to look at if he fails. But I don't know if he should go back-to-back giving coaches like four-plus million dollars a year. So if Johnson would be a longer-term guy, then, and then Alvarez, obviously, and Choate would be as well, I think. Choate, maybe. He's been mm-hmm. on everywhere. I don't know. I I think Alvarez will be the guy, but I would be very interested to see what Brian Johnson could do. And I'm, I am biased yeah. towards that, but I, I, I agree with your stuff with uh, Harrell that He's just pass, 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 pass. I don't think Boise State fans want to turn into like a mini Washington State. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just chucking the ball around. So, but the interviews are reportedly a football scoop saying Tuesday, and the AD JD was the uh, Dicky. They were saying there's no time frame because it's not in a rush, which I get and it makes sense because there's no other openings in college football except for this one. Well, Marshall just opened oh, today. Don't get me started on Marshall. Oh, oh boy, that's on the whole other thing. You want to know who got hosed? Doc Holliday got hosed. <laughs> he, nope, I'm not gonna do it. We're already at 55 minutes. I put a tweet or two out there. I just, it's weird. I don't give what they're doing. They're delusional there. But uh, I'm betting the hire will be within the week. So I'm, one last question. I'll answer this too. If you're putting money on it, if there are odds, there are probably odds somewhere. Who are you laying your money on to get the job? I'd say Adelos. Me too. I lean toward him. But I would be intrigued if Brian John because these two Johnson Harrell came out of nowhere essentially because everybody's focusing on those two guys. Yeah, they're casting a wide net. They are. It's like I think that's a smart move. Like like you said, they were to recruit Texas. Johnson recruits Texas very well. Harrell was in Texas before at North Texas, the Mean Green. Um, but I'm betting they go Avalos. Um, it depends on the pay. I could look at Brian Johnson's pay. Maybe I'll put another article. I'm going to write up really quick. But I'm going to bet they go with the. It's not it's not a safe hybrid means, but it's a familiar hire with a lot of good upside, I think, with uh, Andy Avalos. I guess we'll have to wait and see. All right. Anything else we need to add today? We've gone through a bunch of stuff here. We are in the offseason officially as we wrap this up now. I think we are pretty much all set. I put out a tweet to go over stuff, like what do you guys want to hear from us offseason? So it's our pinned tweet on MWC Wire. I'm thinking, Matt, in our future show, we're probably talking about this coaching search stuff going on with Boise Maybe some season. Um, I was going to say, is retrospective the right word? Is that what I'm looking for? Yes. Okay. I was making sure I'm like, it's not respective. It's this. But we may take a look back because it was a weird college football season as well. So we'll kind of do that for a week. And then betting around February, we'll start getting into some weird offseason stuff. So check our website, mwr.com. That's where everything can be found. Subscribe, follow us on Twitter, MWC Wire. And we'll be back um, probably next time talking about the Boise to hire in about a week. <laughs>